0: On today's podcast, we talk about the GI map test, a new test that we are running with many of our clients to help them understand the root cause of a lot of their symptoms and issues, as well as the 5R protocol, which is the gold standard for gut healing and why it is in the order that it is in so that you can make sure you get the most out of your healing journey with your gut.
1: Happy Halloween. Oh my goodness. Yes it is. We need like some spooky music. I know. <laughs> I
0: hate. It. So, I don't mind Halloween, but it's
1: totally an evil holiday for what we believe. Okay. I was I having know. horrible mom get about this. If my mom was alive, she would give me an earful that we're celebrating Halloween because it's an evil holiday. Yeah,
0: I mean I also hate scary movies. I hate like oh, yeah. everything. Honestly, I hate everything about Halloween. And I love that Carson likes to get dressed up yeah. and, like, he enjoys that. That brings me joy. But, like, I don't like massive amounts of sugar given to my child. Um, I do not like scary things. I do not like cold weather. And so when Halloween is not warm and you have to walk around with your child and, you know, freezing your butt off, I don't like that. Um.
1: <laughs> I'm just thinking of so many things right now. So – Funny story. The other day, we were driving home uh, from school, and we passed the water park. And Marcus is like, "Huh, oh, water park and this and that." And I was like, "You know, the water park is closed for the season." So of course, we're in the Y phase. I'm like explaining to him, "You know how the trees are turning colors? That means that winter is coming." And he goes, "Oh, the snow is gonna come. Snowmen." I kind of scared, and I was like, "You're kind of scared of what?" He's like, "Snowmen. They're kind of scary." And I'm like, "No, they're not. Snowmen are really cute." I said, you know what's scary is ghosts and witches. Those are bad guys. He's like, oh, okay. So then, <laughs> then all of a sudden Trish was like driving behind me, um, my neighbor who's a good friend of mine. I said, oh, there's Trish. And he goes, oh, I like Trish. She's not scary like snowman. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? But anyways, um, yeah, I agree. I think it'll, it'll be fun. I know you guys are dressing up mm-hmm. fun. We're dressing up fun. We're not doing anything like evil, but – um i'm not into the scary movies either i can't uh although i've been watching that show the watcher which is i don't know if i can do it look i watched the trailer and i was like "Mm -mm." it's ironically very good i think um it's almost comical in a way because it has the mom from roxanne i believe Uh, that's the lady who's like across the street i think she has mom from roxanne Mm -hmm. um way back in the day but anyways yeah i just like i
0: will have nightmares And this is something that Nick, Nick's like, can we just watch one scary movie? It's Halloween. And I'm like, you aren't going to be up all night, like terrified and have nightmares. And so I am a child and I am afraid of the dark and I'm afraid of a lot of irrational things. And I don't know how he hasn't, we've been married almost 10 years, like just
1: accept how I am and I'm not going to change (laughs) I just let Art watch it and I, I go to sleep. I cuddle next time and I just go to sleep. And he's like, it doesn't matter. You're only going to stay up for five minutes anyway, so I might as well watch what I want. I'm like, yeah, you should.
0: No, see, I, I'll stay awake and watch stuff. Um, but
1: anyways, yes, it's Halloween. Yeah, Meaning... I know you You mentioned that Carson um, said he can only have one piece of candy. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, here's the thing. True. I
0: Yeah, I know. Well, the funny thing is, is that Nick is like, you know, the, the parent he goes to when he wants stuff. Oh, yeah. And I'm the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And... I'm really trying to not create a dysfunction, but I'm also not going to say eating ice cream or candy or sugar is fine whenever you want it because Carson will go in the pantry and get it whenever he wants. And so I'm creating boundaries around like, okay, you can have one piece per day, you can have it after dinner, and you can enjoy it. That's fine. I'm not saying you can never have any candy. But I challenge parents to like pay attention to your kid and their behavior and how it changes because I notice a severe change in Carson when he has too much like a piece is fine if he has it after dinner or like when he gets ice cream, I'll give him like a fourth of a cup or a half a cup if that Um, when he has large amounts of it, Mm -hmm. he has massive temper tantrums. And they are, fo- they are after, like, sugar highs. He'll be mm-hmm. off the walls for, like, 30 to 45 minutes. And then he has massive meltdowns.
1: And I don't know what's worse, like, watching them have the meltdown or just being so frustrated with the meltdown. And I feel bad for him. Like, mm-hmm. I
0: know that. I mean, like, I don't know that feeling. But I know the feeling of that sugar crash. It feels horrible. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I try to teach in the best way possible. I can tell he's becoming very aware of, like, I told Liz earlier. He I came in from working out on Sunday and Nick and Carson were watching the Phillies. And <laughs> earlier that day, Carson got these chocolate like rice crisps. They look like Pringles, but they're chocolate and they have like little rice crispies in them. Um, and we got them when we were trick-or-treating at this event on Saturday. And he went to go have one. And I saw him earlier that day at like 10 a.m. He grabbed one and he was eating it. And I was like, Carson, what are you eating? And he's like, wouldn't say anything. And he mm-hmm. tried to shut his mouth and he's like, nothing. And I'm like, Carson. I'm I'm not mad at you. I just want you to understand, like, we can't just have sugar whenever we want. Yeah. And so later I came in after working out and I see Carson walking back to the pantry and he covers his mouth as fast as he can with his hand. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to seem like that mom that like you're afraid of right now, but I also don't want to make it seem like it's okay. And so I'm in that back and forth. And so Halloween will absolutely be, you know, I, I will... I will portion his candy. Um, He doesn't really like a whole lot of like the Smarties sugary type stuff. So I'll probably just toss that. um, And then I'll keep the stuff that he
1: wants. Nick will eat some of it. Um, I'm going to take it to my... Uh, brother-in-law's auto body shop and they Mm -hmm. give it uh, most of it to my father-in-law Yeah, because we also have a school function from 2 30 to 4 30 where there's going to be food there's going to be candy and then we're coming home to trick-or-treat and so Mm -hmm. it's going to be like massive amounts of things that like we normally don't eat and honestly the sugar dyes I've been reading a lot more and we've done some podcasts on that but like thinking about how many dyes and just junk and crap is in you know all of these things like I just don't yeah. I don't want it around. Yeah. I don't want it around here either because I'll tell you guys, like I love Twizzlers and there's a couple of uh, candy treats that, you know, I do enjoy. Like I mm-hmm. love um, Twix or, you know, Snickers. Oh, those. Yeah. I, just, I don't want it in the house because I don't want to be also. Totally. T- I'll <laughs> eat it if
0: it's in the house. And so I, yeah, it's. I have, you know, it's hard. It's hard to be that mom. It's hard to, you know, want to advocate for your child in a positive way and to be shamed about it. Like there are plenty of social media moms out there that are like, let your kid eat the stupid candy. Like it's Halloween. Okay. That's fine. But the amount of candy that he receives, he's fucking four years old, will stay in the house for months. And then it's candy yeah. every day
1: for mm-hmm. months. Like that's where it becomes you know well and if you ask any teacher so my niece is a teacher my sister's a teacher we have several clients who are teachers they dread the day after halloween I'm sure. because the kids are awful yeah and i will argue to my death that uh with anybody who says that sugar and all of this stuff does not impact our kids behavior because oh, i've seen it not just with my own child mm-hmm. but you know with- sugar
0: sugar is a fuel for bad bacteria parasites and your kids Let's be honest. Taylor eats dirt. They're little the chairs of all of that they, oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, they are. Um, well, let's so, talk
1: about that. Let's yes. talk about
0: that. Gut health, good transition, unintentional transition. Um, so we wanted to talk a little bit around a specific protocol approach that is very well known in like the holistic and functional space, um, around Gut protocols. Um, So, we will talk first on the GI map. Uh, So, the GI map is a test that we do with a lot of our clients, and it is becoming a requirement for our clients. Um, And it tests amounts of good and bad bacteria, H. pylori, candida, potential parasites, which don't typically show up on stool samples, but you can test for them. And measures leaky, basically leakage due to leaky gut syndrome. Um, you also see a lot of intestinal health markers. So beta glucuronidase, which can give a little insight into detoxification abilities of the liver. You look into steatocrit and elastase one, which give you insight into enzymatic function and the pancreatic function, like how well you're producing digestive enzymes, anti-gliadin, which is a gluten marker. Um, are you responding in like immune wise to gluten, a secretory IgA, which is an immune function marker. So there's a lot of really cool information that we find on the GI map and then, you know, how we approach what we find.
1: Yeah. And one of my favorite things that I really appreciate about the GI map compared to conventional testing. And I had a lot of conventional testing. It was useless for me. I mean, had the colonoscopy and was chronically constipated for eight years, but yet nothing was wrong. this looks at um, quantities that are, you know, in the stool. And so, for example, if someone is passing things in their stool, one of the things that you know, when we give the instructions to our clients, we're asking them to prepare for it a specific way, take it a specific way to get different uh, pieces of their stool, so that the lab can um, repeatedly copy any DNA in the sample and analyze how much DNA it finds. And so, it will find um, germs in as low as one cell per 10 grams, um, which is really cool. Uh, and it is very sensitive to certain things. So for example, if we see candida on a test, even if it's not lab high, it's so sensitive to that. And, and candida is hard to pick up. Yeast is hard to pick up in general because it dies in the presence of oxygen. So sometimes you won't even get it on like a culture yep. test. You know, then it allows for us to be able to correlate that with their symptoms and address it appropriately. And so the really cool piece, and this is why we're requiring it for so many of our clients, is we have a lot of people who come in with either constipation or diarrhea or motility issues. So they're alternating back and forth, sometimes constipated, sometimes having this urgency or dumping syndrome. We can also see the levels of bacteria, the good commensal bacteria versus the opportunistic bacteria. We can see their phyla, which are a couple of groups of bacteria that's about 90% of the gut. And so we can see like a general picture here of what's going on And identify inflammation, right? So, if someone has leaky gut, we can correlate that to a ton of different symptoms and as a root cause to a lot of different things uh, going on in the body in terms of joint pain, brain fog, fatigue, acne, you know, all kinds of things. Because when there's this dysbiosis and there's this level of leakage, if you will, essentially. So, if you think about like a fabric, um, you want it to be pretty tight. Like you don't want much coming in or out. There's going to be some air that comes in and out, but you don't want there to be holes in your sweater, right? Because it rains, that makes it uncomfortable or snows or whatnot. Um, Maybe this is a bad analogy, but I'm using the fabric analogy. Um, So you, you want your fabric to be nice and tight. It's going to allow small amounts of things such as micronutrients, electrolytes, vitamins, and minerals to exit um, the GI tract when appropriate. Uh, but you want to keep it nice and tight so that you're not getting large particles of food, pathogens, parasites, other things, um, you know, into the bloodstream causing systemic inflammation. And then it also looks at H. pylori in so many people. Um, I've had several clients who have had uh, H. pylori breath tests, never detected, but had, you know, several symptoms of H. pylori. And we find it on the GI map. So it's really, really helpful um, because if you're somebody who's gone to the doctor and you've basically been given that BS diagnosis of, of IBD or IBS, this allows us to really see what is exactly going on and target these things specifically instead of just trying to guess at what the person might need.
0: Yeah. And diagnoses are hard because like can diagnoses sometimes help? Help? Yes. In a sense that if you end up in like an emergency situation and there's certain things that you are maybe allergic to, like we just talked to, uh, we'll be airing the podcast soon on mast cell activation syndrome, having that diagnosis, if you end up in the hospital, there are certain medications that can create mast cell responses. And so in that sense, I think it's very helpful. But in general, diagnoses are basically just a collection of symptoms. It is, or you know, like you see on blood work, okay, we have high cholesterol, you have high cholesterol. That's a diagnosis. Okay, what are we going to do about it? A statin, is that really helping anything in most cases? No, it's not. We need to look at, okay, why? That is always the question of root cause medicine and root cause, you know, protocols. Why is this happening? So when we'd get a GI map, it's not necessarily to be like, you have parasites, treat the parasites. It's why do we have parasites? Why are we in an environment that those are thriving in? And that is what you go to address when you create protocols mm-hmm. with these processes. And so. The five R protocol is kind of the, the gold standard of gut protocols because it's in a specific or order, essentially, of importance. Because when and this is where a lot of like self diagnosing and self treating can become a problem with people is because they have certain symptoms like bloating or constipation or whatever it might be, and they go to address that symptom with a probiotic per se, and. Maybe some of the symptoms improve, but in general, like there's still problems because the probiotic is not the first order of importance. When we go to do this, you might still have food sensitivities going on. You might still have leaky gut going on. And unfortunately, a probiotic isn't necessarily always going to resolve that. And so you're basically trying to um, put out the fire when p- fuel's just getting added chronically. And so when we address this, the first R, it's called the 5R protocol. The first R is remove. And that is removal of a few things. That could be foods that irritate you. Um, And this is why a lot of times we will also get an MRT with clients, which is a mediator release test. And it's basically like the best food sensitivity test out there. Um, And it can be, you don't have to be eating the food to have it show up on that test, which is awesome. And it's also a delayed reaction test. So it's, you know, it's different than a lot of other. Not as good food sensitivity tests out there, but foods that irritate you, um, and the gut, and a lot of times we think of like common foods, glut, glutton. <laughs> gluten, maybe gluten and glutton are meant to be spe- okay. Anyways, um, gluten, dairy. Soy for a lot of people, processed sugars for a lot of people, caffeine for some people, histamine foods—you can kind of get all crazy—but processed foods in general. Um, so, removal of foods, potentially removal of medications. Um, we've talked a lot about PPIs on this podcast. We've talked a lot about you know SSRIs and different you know statins, things like that that can impair proper digestive function to a large extent. Um, and do not just like stop taking these. You need to work with your doctor, your practitioner, and make sure you're doing that in the most effective, least you know, possible symptomatic way. Um, stress mm-hmm. is definitely something yep. that
1: you need to be removing. Yeah. I mean, you guys have to think about if you are constantly stressed, constantly go, go, go. You never have any downtime. You never get into what we call the rest and digest parasympathetic state. That's how a lot of diseases start. That's how a lot of dysfunction in the body starts. Your body can only compensate with things for so long. And so even when we look at things like low stomach acid, a root cause of low stomach acid is stress, as well as aging, low protein intake, and so forth. Um, There can be other reasons as well, but it's not, we get that it's not easy to remove stressors and sometimes you can't always remove them, but you need to learn to cope. You need to learn to become a little bit more resilient in how you are responding. And part of that can be adjusting and changing your, you know, routine. It can be your workout routine. It could be your eating routine. It could be a lot of different things. Are you constantly eating on the go? That's a big stressor to the body. I mean, you're basically eating as if you're being chased by a, sab- a saber-tooth tiger um and expecting your body to digest that food like there's a reason why the parasympathetic state is called rest and digest and so slowing down chewing your food a lot of these things with how you eat and the state that you eat fix a lot um because the body is pretty darn smart it has a lot of capabilities but when you're just running your system into the ground maybe you're erratically eating your blood sugars all over the place you're eating junk you're not eating enough protein i mean your body is going to continue to fight you. And then we see this is a big reason why pathogens take residence in the gut. So H. pylori, for example, low stomach acid allows for these things such as parasites, yeast, fungus, H. pylori to take place and grow. Um, And so that's part of the removal process as well is eradicating these things, but at the same time, also looking at the root cause. So number two is replacing things. So supplements need to replace anything that's missing. I'll just give you a very simple example. If someone has a gallbladder that's been removed or we're seeing the sciatic rip marker on the GI map elevated, meaning they're not breaking down and emulsifying their fats, they need bile support. Anybody without a gallbladder should be on bile support for the rest of your life. You need bile salts. Um, anyone who has you know, been on... PPIs for a long period of time, or we do see that they have uh, H. pylori present. That is a telltale sign of hypochloridia. So we'll do an HCL challenge. We can also see this with lab work, um, you know, as well when we're looking at a complete metabolic count, um, or excuse me, a complete metabolic panel and a complete blood count. Uh, and so we need to replace these things therapeutically for a period of time. Fix that root cause. Um, again, unless you're somebody that has had a gallbladder removed, then you need bile salts the rest of your life essentially um so it's not just like keep removing all of the foods like oh i cut out fodmaps oh i cut out gluten oh i cut out dairy well it's not a food issue it's a function issue and so we need to figure out what actually is the root cause of that remove it and start to replace and then we go on to repair and rebuild
0: Mm -hmm. and foods too a lot of times when people end up with digestive dysfunction, you end up with deficiencies because Mm -hmm. your body is likely not absorbing food very well from the small intestine. Um, I'm sorry, absorbing nutrients from your foods very well within that small intestine. And so including more nutrient dense foods if your body can tolerate them at that time things that are high in magnesium like spinach you know sometimes dark chocolate you can try including here and there things that are you know dense in potassium all these different nutrient deficiencies B vitamins including red meat including saturated fats like you need these things to help rebuild and replenish um, and then supplements or foods that replenish nutrient deficiencies because sometimes unfortunately you just, Your body gets to a place where it's too depleted and you do need a little bit of support temporarily. And sometimes depending on the person and like genetic clips and things that could be going on there, which goes down a different rabbit hole maybe for another day, um, need to be on chronically like B vitamins, calcium, zinc, magnesium, iron for some people to support lack of function, um, But that's all because of a purposeful direction that is not just like blindly take a bunch of vitamins and nutrients. It is because sometimes that can actually bite you in the butt and be doing the wrong things. Um, you need to be looking at where is the dysfunction, where are the nutrient deficiencies? That's why we like testing. That's why we like looking at these things. So we are not guessing, um, and you're doing it in the most efficient, you know,
1: cheapest way possible because you can spend a lot of money on these supplements. Yeah. Um, One thing I wanted to add to that too is there's a lot of cofactors. So when we look at stomach acid, for example zinc is a cofactor, vitamin B12 is a cofactor. So we need these things to create stomach acid, yet we need stomach acid to absorb zinc or or B vitamins and so forth. And so, you know, that's one thing that we look at in, in, you know, electrolytes as well, Um, your calcium and magnesium, your sodium, your potassium, all of those things like we always say like, for example, calcium is a game of cofactors. There's a lot of things that um, come into play in terms of proper calcium levels and sending your calcium to where it should be and keeping it out of places it shouldn't be. Uh, And so that's one thing, You know, this is far beyond calories or macros that we're looking at in terms of these nutritional deficiencies because it's pretty darn important. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of times when we get down to other symptoms such as hair loss, we're seeing that it's a nutritional deficiency. You might be ab- digesting things, but you're not absorbing it. So you are only as healthy as the things that you're able to actually absorb, not just ingest, or we would say even you know digest. So are you taking those nutrients in is the question number one. And number two, do you have the ability to break it down, digest and actually absorb it?
0: Yeah, so we have removal of triggers or potential things that are creating the harm and making it harder to heal replace the function that's missing and then repopulate as number three. So this is where a lot of people start um, missing the other two pieces and why we don't ever see like long-term, you know, relapse, you know, we see a lot of long-term relapse of symptoms and so forth. Um, So, like Liz said, you are not meant to eliminate these foods forever because then you're missing out on a lot of nutrients. You're missing out on a lot of benefit of certain foods that should be in your diet. Um, So once symptoms do start to show improvement and sometimes even alongside removal, just so that when you do removal of parasites, pathogens, sometimes those eradicators can take good stuff with it, um, not just the bad stuff. And so we'll put in a probiotic here. So what probiotics do are they repopulate certain strains of bacteria. And so when we get GI maps, we will sometimes see that certain strains are completely missing from the gut and strains that are very important um, and other ones are in very low levels. And so probiotics act to basically repopulate those strains and reintroduce them into the ecosystem. And then prebiotics are the food for those strains. So prebiotics are things like short chain fatty acids, butyrate that are essentially the food to help those strains thrive. And this is where a lot of people get in trouble because they eat a lot of the same foods. They don't eat enough vegetables and fruits and fiber. They eat a lot of like protein, starch, fats type diet, and they end up missing out and kind of allowing these things to thrive. And unfortunately, when you do not have these things thriving, guess what suffers? Your metabolic function, because bacteria takes calories and is able to extract calories from your food. If you do not have a healthy balance of bacteria within the gut, you can have blood sugar issues because of that. You can have higher extraction of food of calories. So for example, you eat 500 calories of something the same as someone else does, they aren't their body is not extracting as many calories as your body is. So basically, you get a higher calorie count than that person because you have an unhealthy gut, they have a healthy ecosystem. That can be something that your microbiome is doing. You can have lower immune health. Like there's a lot of things that when you do not have the proper ecosystem and population of these strains or imbalances, people suffer greatly beyond just digestive function.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to talk too. there's different quality of supplements. We use therapeutic grade supplements that are almost pharmaceutical grade. Um, There are different strands of probiotics. So for example, within our phyla families, we see that there's um, two types of phyla. Um, One of them is formicides and one of them is bacteroides. Bacteriadities. (laughs) Bacteriadities. DDs. <laughs> Listen, the other day when I was listening to that podcast, um Agromancia, it's so on agromancia, it's so interesting to hear people pronounce these things differently. Um ha- I will say, I know that I am not uh, great at all of these words, but anyways, um, so when we see that, for example, formicates, phyla is high, there's certain bacteria strands that we want to use and certain ones that we don't want to use. Because if we are using something that's very common, such as lactobacillus or bacillus, those are two very, very common things found in probiotics that actually can elevate formicates. Any phyla that's even a good commensal uh, bacteria strand that is elevated is inflammatory. So you want to have just enough of the good stuff. You don't want to have too much of the good stuff. Too much of a good thing is not always a good thing, right? Basically that's what I'm, you know, kind of getting at here. And so it's important when we're going through protocols, we're also looking at what is the person's, you know, sympt- what are the symptoms? Um, what are they sensitive to? So there's even different strands of probiotics and prebiotics that contain corn or dairy. So someone who has a casein, you know, allergy or, we're trying to eliminate gluten entirely. We don't have any cross reactions. We wouldn't use that type of probiotic. And so that's, again, why it's important to work with someone, um, you know, to customize this for you and to help you understand which is going to be beneficial for you so you're not just shooting in the dark. And then, obviously, that's helping you get good quality uh, Mm -hmm. supplements as well. And one of the other things that I'll just add on to here is when we're building protocols for people, we're also looking at various... um, interactions. So if they are on birth control, if they are on spiralactone, if they have, you know, food intolerances or sensitivities or food allergies, we want to cross-reference and make sure that we're using supplements that are also not going to interfere with, you know, SSRI or that we're including, for example, a supplement that has folic acid because we know they're on birth control and that gets depleted when they're on birth control. So there's a lot of things that we look at far beyond just like hey, I went to this website and I found this like for our gut healing protocol and I decided to do it. Is it right for you?
0: (laughs) We have no idea. Yeah. There are some clients of ours that have really low levels of good bacteria and no overgrowths. And so I'm not going to put in something that's going to remove things Mm -hmm. because they already don't have enough of the good. And so you start in different places. Um, So it's, we just want to go over this to understand why you don't DIY your gut. Um, And how working with someone and getting testing can give you longer term answers versus just like blindly applying protocols. Um, so, the fourth R is repair. Uh, and in this stage, you want to essentially create the ideal environment to support the long term relief and gut healing. So, when you end up with leaky gut, you end up with these epithelial cells that line the gut, you know, essentially the lining of the gut and the small intestine, and they become irritated, inflamed, def- like they start to atrophy essentially. Um, and so, you want to rebuild that environment. You want to rebuild the health of those cells. You want to rebuild for a lot of people, the mucosal layer. So from your mouth all the way down to your anus is your digestive tract that's covered in mucus, or it should be. And so when that mucus layer starts to degrade, you lose a protective barrier of your body. So now bacteria, pathogens, viruses, all of these things are more likely to get into your bloodstream to more likely cause infection. Um, And there's a lot of things that can degrade mucus layer, but you know, antihistamines, if you're chronically taking Zyrtec or you're chronically doing, you know, uh, what's the nasal spray? Afrin, like things like that. Uh, there's another one that I feel is like more common. Flonase, um, those types of things. Guess what? You're not just degrading mucus in that area. It is systemic. And so be careful what you're taking chronically um, because you can create a long-term issue in the gut. And so in this Fourth process, though fourth step of the process, you want to repair the intestinal mucosa and cells. So reduce inflammation, encourage microbiome. So things that a lot of people think of: L-glutamine, aloe vera, collagen, slippery elm is great. Marshmallows great. Um, not like eating marshmallows. There's a there's an herb that would be <laughs> amazing. Just house some marshmallows, healing your gut. Um, Things that are f- rich in amino acids, bone broth is great. Liz has the gut gummies recipes she's been doing. Those are awesome for this because this is the soothing phase. This is like you need to ch- let, the, let the digestive tract chill, give it some extra love and support because you have removed all of these triggers. You have removed a lot of these things and started to build back support. But now like we've always considered this, the, um, the analogy of like a house burning, the burning That's going on that fire. That's what you're removing. You're removing the fire. But now there's all this damage done. So you need to heal that damage. You need to fix that damage that's being done. You need to repopulate the house with furniture and, you know, all of those different things. So like, that's kind of how you got to think about this. You cannot start to repair a house that's still on fire. Yep. And so you have to remove first and then this repair process of kind of, you know, rebuilding.
1: Yeah, the only thing that I'm gonna add in here is there's always special considerations um, because every person, again, is bio-individual. So for example, somebody who is coming in who has suffered from heartburn or acid reflux for a long time, we're actually going to do a little bit of repair first because we were going to work on upper GI healing and soothing the esophagus and essentially repairing uh, that portion of the GI tract before we start to get into number two, which is replacing some things because they don't have enough stomach acid. And so again, this is why it's so important to test, don't guess, work with somebody who is an expert who can help you with your individual symptoms because- you know anybody who is struggling with acid reflux allergies autoimmune conditions brain fog celiac disease Crohn's disease IBS IBD as i mentioned before ulcerative colitis Um, Digestive just complaints, again, motility issues, bloating, gas, constipation, um, diarrhea, things like that, skin problems, eczema, psoriasis, uh, acne, mood disorders, depression. We know that 90% of our neurotransmitters are made into the gut. Um, And so that's going to impact our anxiety and our mood, you know, all of these things. And then we get into blood sugar imbalances, right? Estrogen dominance, weight loss issues, metabolic syndrome, all kinds of things. Anybody with any of those symptoms, basically every symptom known to man, (laughs) um, any dysfunction can benefit from getting testing done and going through this process because it's not always going to follow step one, two, three, four, five right? As Becca mentioned, a lot of people start with, oh, I'm just going to add prebiotic or probiotics. That may or may not be good for you. You may not even be able to tolerate fermented foods. Um, So I just think it's really, really important that we drive that home again. So I wanted to add that in just in terms of this repair, because sometimes there's work that needs to be done before we can start removing things. Yeah, absolutely. And again, when we do these protocols with
0: clients, we are implementing these in phases usually. Mm -hmm. Like we implement the first phase that might be digestive support, that might be removal, and then we reevaluate do what we, you know, typically would do next. Is that actually going to happen? Or is this person popping up with new symptoms? Do other things happen that we need to adjust our protocols? Like this is a constant evaluation. This is not a, you showed up with X, Y, Z. Now we do one, two, three. It is, okay, let's implement this, evaluate, see how you feel. It's a, it's kind of an art form. It's not a, it it's is a, a science, but like it's a mix between an art form and a science. Um, and then the final piece is rebalance. Because like we said, when you do protocols, You have to not only repair and fix what's there, you have to make sure it stays there. Because how you ended up where you are now, unfortunately, probably because of the lifestyle that you have right now, whether that's high stress, whether that's lack of diversity, whether that's lack of food, all of those things, antibiotic use, all of those things can drive a general ecosystem within the gut that's like not optimal. And so we have to evaluate what of those things, whether it's lifestyle, mental health, exercise, sleep, stress management... What of those things needs to change so that you can make sure that all of the work you're doing, which can be months upon months of healing, is not just a lost effort because you go back to doing what you Mm. had been doing prior.
1: I was just going to say, I think for anybody, you know, you need to understand that this is a process, this is a journey. Most of the time, it's not just a three to four month protocol. Most of the time, you know, especially if we're seeing multiple things such as, the combination or the trio of H. pylori, candida, which is a yeast overgrowth, and a parasite, or a lot of symptoms of parasites, or maybe we see a lot of heavy metal uh, symptoms. You know, liver detoxification, mold toxicity, right? Then we may do other tests for that down the line. But when you are going through the process, this is a journey, and for you know, Beck and I, as well as many other practitioners in the space, the way that we have been taught is that we start north to south. You get to the root cause. What is allowing? your, you know, gut to let these things take residence. Right. And so you've got to get to the root cause and fix North to South because downstream things get bad when things are not properly working uh, North. And I will say again, as I mentioned already before, how you eat really matters. Digestion starts in the brain. You'll hear a lot of people say it starts in the mouth and there's some validity to that because you do have digestive enzymes in your saliva. But I'll challenge you wherever you're at right now, start thinking about the delicious food that you're going to eat for dinner tonight. You know, whether it's that homemade lasagna that you, you know, prepped, or it's the chili that you made, and you're going to do chili dogs. Like you start thinking about these foods and you're excited I'm about salivating. it. salivating. <laughs> yeah. You start to salivate it, right? That's your pr- brain signaling your body to prepare for ingestion and therefore digestion of food. And so, you know, getting into a rest and digest. I've said this a few times on my Instagram and have a few posts about it, but I like the the rule of three, um, three by 10. So take five to 10 deep breaths, sit down with your meal, five to 10 deep breaths before you even start eating it. Look at your food. Think about I'm so thankful for this. I spent so much time grocery shopping for these things. Or I'm thankful that I was able to go to the farmer's market and get the ingredients for this, you know, whatever. Um, get a little woo woo there. Give yourself at least 10 minutes to eat your food. I know that doesn't sound like a long time, but for a lot of people, they eat in such a fast, rushed state. They're distracted, they're on the go. You're not in that rest and digest state. So the deep breaths are gonna help signal you to get into more of a parasympathetic state. I would say also try to take a 10 minute walk after your meals that can help a ton with blood sugar balance and help a ton with just blood flow and digestion overall, reducing bloating, gas, things like that. And so, you know, while testing is fantastic, you also have to do your part. We talked about this, um, on, on the upcoming podcast on Wednesday in any healing journey, you have to do your part. You have to show up. You have to put in the work. You have to take the supplements. You have to go grocery shopping. You have to do these things. You have to manage your stress. Um, But if there's one thing you take away from today, hopefully it's that you understand a little bit more about this process um, and things that you can start doing right now on your own. Go reference... You know, Becca's Instagram, my Instagram, I have several posts on there about stomach acid, ways to naturally support it, foods with natural digestive enzymes. We don't give supplement recommendations because again, as I mentioned before, this is very individualized to the person, what their needs are um, other than just like our top like beef liver, uh, fish oil and so forth. So those are some things that you can start doing, but I think it's important for you guys to understand all of the considerations that we take in you know, to account when we are writing protocols and working with clients. And, you know, a lot of times this even gets paired up with their lab work too. We look at labs, we look at symptoms, 320 symptoms. Then we look at our GI map, potentially an MRT, other testing if necessary. And then we create a protocol. We want to get eyes on as much as we possibly can, really get the whole picture and move the big dominoes first so that you can feel your best um, or start feeling better as fast as possible.